Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. Companies are looking for new ways to mitigate against what continues to be a fluctuating backdrop. For many, this is increasing the cost of operations and reducing revenue. And on the topic of cost management, perhaps you've heard our recent episode on digitizing sales, general and administrative costs, also referred to as SG&A, which formed part of the Reset and Reimagine framework. Today, we're going to go a bit further into this topic, looking at zero basing. We hope to dispel some of the myths around the topic as we talk to Kerry Minieri, a partner in our Atlanta office, Dennis Foman, an expert AP from Vienna, and Steve Frazier, an external advisor to McKinsey who spent 20 years working for Amazon. Kerry, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. And Dennis, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thank you. Excited about the conversation today. And Steve. Great to have your voice and your experience in this conversation. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so let's kick off this conversation. Zero basing is often associated with cost cutting. Is that correct or is there more to it than that? And Kerry, I'd like to throw that first one to you. Zero basing is about much more than just cost cutting. In fact, I like to think about it with respect to a few different things that it enables. The first is visibility. So it gives leaders of institutions visibility into cost investment and resourcing that's traditionally been the case, but may not be the case going forward. And that also leads to zero basing enabling evolution. So evolution of where companies invest their dollars and invest in their growth. And so it's less about what you cut in terms of cost. It's less about that. It's much more around where you spend and where you invest going forward. Thanks, Kerry. That's really helpful. And that's a great introduction for us. So could we move to saying a little bit more about what zero basing isn't? Let's try and begin to address the image problem. Dennis, can you help here? Glad that you asked this question. That is something that our clients do ask quite a lot. The most common misconception, I would say, is, yes, the zero-based thing, that's something where lots of people sit around and fill in some templates and a long and tedious process. Well, the way I usually see it, it's not a process, and that's a common misconception. That's more of a philosophy of an idea. An idea that things, the way that things have always been, doesn't mean that they need to stay the same way. The costs that have been there last year, the resources, the way of doing things, is that still the best way of doing things? Or if we were starting it from scratch, would we have done it different? And that's a philosophy. And how you implement this philosophy is could be a number of different things. It could be related to a process. It could be related to an organization. But the underlying idea to me is a philosophy indeed. Thanks, Dennis. I like that way of thinking about this idea, that it's more of a philosophy. And if we move the thinking forward in that direction about how organizations can start, stop, and change work, what's the impact on people, on the workforce, when you apply this approach? I think the key to zero basing is around this being a mindset. As we heard earlier from Dennis, this is a mindset. If zero basing is a mindset rather than a one-time or episodic event, and it occurs on an ongoing basis and particularly occurs on an annual basis, it allows for evolving the organization rather than requiring large resets of the organization. As a functional leader, I'm thinking every year or even more frequently than that, what resourcing do I need and where should it be deployed? That allows me to make changes on an ongoing basis and redeploy my talent 
reskill my talent, move my talent where I need it. And the net result of that is that it's less likely that I would need a major reorganization or a major design reset every three or five years, as we often see in many of our client situations. I think that's a really important point, and it allows for businesses, I think there's an appreciation for keeping track of those kinds of costs is one thing that enables growth, because if you don't wait for the downturn to reduce costs, but you harvest costs and look for efficiencies as you go, that helps you fund new growth. Because in a growth mode, you're always looking for the ways to fund the next 20 great ideas you have and being efficient about your cost base is a great way to do that. It also avoids the kind of pressure you're under when growth slows down and then you have to cut costs. That's great. And that really does reframe the conversation. So now that we've got a bit of a better understanding about what zero basing is and what it isn't, I'd love to hear some stories from you about where this approach or this philosophy has made a positive difference with some organizations that you've worked with. And Steve, I'd love to get your take on that. In my background, it's an approach that is particularly relevant to launching new businesses and that when business leaders are in asking for resources, asking for investment to go launch business, it's great to be able to show what's going to be required to launch that business with the smallest possible numbers. And so your ability to say that now we're launching a new business, but we can look at what we've done before and do it with less, or we can share resources with earlier businesses. And so here's the budget I'm putting together. And the great thing about my budget is there's a bunch of empty rows. I don't need new resources in every one of these because I can share some existing resources. In our research, one of the points of inspiration we've had in terms of zero basing is from startups and new business builds. And what we've seen in our research is that they're actually, those startups and new businesses are often more efficient with their resourcing, particularly with regards to G&A. One of the reasons for that is that new businesses and startups are by definition zero basing. They're building their business from scratch. And so the inspiration for large corporations and institutions is to say, look, if I were actually starting this business tomorrow, where would I invest? Where would I spend resources? Just as a startup would have to do every day. And that's part of the inspiration that we would draw from startups with regards to zero basing. Another opportunity to think hard about is the benefits of automation and making sure that you're automating everything that doesn't require a human to be involved with, that humans can set things up, they can design a process, they can think about the decision. But as you scale a business, there's a lot that can be automated. And you not only understand the process, you engineer it, you get the software working, and then you make sure that the humans takes their hands off and that you work on perfecting the automation rather than adding more and more people to do the same thing over and over again. And there's a real benefit to that, both in getting people excited to do that, to write great software that enables that to happen, and to pull resources out that can be invested in the next new business. That's a really motivating way of thinking about it. Do you have any stories that you can tell about working with organizations that have done that? Are there companies that you've worked with where you can talk about how that's really made a difference? I think building on the points that were mentioned earlier, right, when we're talking about startups and startup-like companies, what we see quite often is that they do this, they implement this kind of thinking, the zero-based thinking, not only on the costs, you know, like what are the costs that I need in my organization, but also on the value add. 
let's take an example. We're talking about business support functions. Usually the way business support functions are conceived are as a kind of a fixed cost structure on an organization. They are there to support business, to deliver pay slips or accounting balances or stuff like that. And then the startup organizations ask a question of, is that how we would develop this finance or an HR organization who was starting from scratch? And some of them come to idea that, no, actually, we want them to be an integral part of the business. We want them to engage in a corporate strategy and be part of it, whether it be in kind of supporting the organization from the talent side and making sure that we are the best talent organization in the world. Look at all the various startups in the automotive space. They reinvented essentially the way of doing things. Certain part of this is to me attributed to those support organizations that have really delivered something that would not have been expected from them in a traditional company. That's a really nice example. And as we explore the idea of operational excellence more, we're seeing increasing examples of the SGNA functions becoming that integral part of business and a new source of competitive advantage. Kerry, do you have an example you can add here? Let me offer an example from the retail industry. Working with a global retailer, they effectively zero-based their organization. They didn't call it that, importantly, but what they did was effectively that. They first started with what's the work that needs to be done in the enabling functions, in legal, in HR, in finance, in communications, etc., and decided where to stop, start, or change that work. An important point there is where to stop work because the demand lever is actually a very critical part of the toolkit that Zero Basing enables. After that, they basically said, okay, in one business unit, what does the ideal organization look like for enabling functions? And then they worked through the mechanics of how the processes would work in the future, et cetera, with that ideal clean sheet or zero-based organization. And once they had that right for one market unit or one business unit, they were able then to deploy that to the other business units. That's an example practically of how zero basing works uh, and an example of a company that was very effective in doing it. The result, by the way, was a much more effective organization because they'd eliminated duplication of work, they'd eliminated unnecessary work, and they'd, they'd been able to deploy resources against new work that they knew they needed going forward. So for instance, in the finance function, they needed more support in helping with analysis for their new digital functions. And so this is an example where zero basing the organization not only drove efficiencies, which was true, but more importantly, drove effectiveness. Yes, exactly. So a really good example of aligning your resources where they can actually add value. Dennis, it would be great if you had another story here of where you've seen this approach or this philosophy that we're talking about working well. One example where a company has applied some zero-based principles to actually enable their strategy is one example of a software developer. It's a company who had really successful business, really successful piece of software. However, the segment of the software was actually on the decline. So they probably still had like five or six years in this. However, they already saw that the end is coming for general this market segment. They had some initial promising startup-like products which were actually getting traction. However, the board of the company was looking at the decision how to actually resource this new organization and how to make sure that it gets up and running and actually kind of compensates for the, at some point, lost revenues from the incumbent business. And what they did was something that was very dynamic. They just sat together in a board workshop and then they went through the uh, legacy organization five years before it would have, let's say, 
ahead to ramp down and they've actually thought about what is the keep the lights on strategy for this business? What is it that we actually need zero based? And then once they had this question answered and once they have identified all the resources, then they had the discussion of how to use these resources that have become available to actually make the new business a success. So that's a clear example of established companies using the approach to reinvent themselves. We've touched a bit on the idea of startups and disruptor companies doing this, and I'd like to explore that a bit more, particularly the idea about having budget lines with zeros and getting to build up from that point. Steve, with your experience of launching a new business and new business lines, where have you seen this work well? In my experience was helping to build businesses over actually a couple decades of starting in an experience where the original cost base was intentionally very low and there was a corporate value around frugality, but also, and so as you launch new businesses, you were always trying to match that or frankly do better. And so one key principle was benchmarking, was looking at the way things had been done before and then trying to launch a new business with the same or hopefully fewer resources as you go. So one step was always looking inside and using that as a model to lower costs. Another thing, though, was always being self-critical that what you launched in the early days as a startup might have been a bit of a hack. And as you scale, you may not be as automated in using technology as well as you could have. So you can go in and automate what you did earlier. You can now afford to invest in automation and bring those costs down even more. And so that automation on top of ingoing frugality, I think, allows you to reduce costs even more. And then finally, there's this notion that as you launch multiple businesses, you're going to find new efficiencies and way to centralize and way to build uh, efficiencies across businesses that didn't exist when you were just a single line of business. So there's a lot going on all at the same time. Start with low costs, automate to make costs lower, and then consolidate and build efficiencies as you start to get scale. Let me give another, let's say, very practical example of where zero basing works without it actually being a formalized process within the company, but rather implements as a philosophy. If we take an, let's call it an automotive player in one of those EV disruptor spaces, what they have, for example, done is they have obviously a very strong procurement organization as you would have because you need to work with lots of new suppliers you need to find new sources you need to build to get things for your cars there especially if you're launching a car what they have actually done is once they have launched the vehicle for example and the workload on the procurement organization was smaller then they redeployed a part of the procurement resources to support their next capital project which was actually a ramp up of a big factory So in doing so, this would have been in a traditional player that would have been completely impossible because these are two completely different organizations buying the vehicle parts and buying, negotiating with construction companies. But just by applying this mindset, it was, hey, we got this procurement resource. They're good good procurement people. They're capable. They have the capacity and capabilities. Let's put them where it actually matters. And by doing this, you really generate value for the company. And ultimately, what people also do is they actually ask people, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to keep doing the same thing all over again? Or do you want to actually 
do what it matters and you can find what matters yourself or you can talk to people and find out where can you make a change and then you go there so not only it uh, helps the company strategically but it's also something that the people let's say once kind of they understood and they've taken in the philosophy actually start to appreciate quite a lot i love that and that feels like it aligns very closely with conversations about how we shared strategy and a shared purpose really helps to drive an organization forward So I think that's a really good positive message about what can be achieved. As we move towards the end of the session, I'd like to try and wrap up the conversation today to talk about how you can get started. For those organizations who haven't taken this approach before, that haven't yet bought into this philosophy, what can they practically do today or in the next quarter that can help make a difference? And Steve, I'd like to come to you first, if I could, please. Well, as it pertains to... I guess from the perspective of large global companies that are well past the startup phase, one of the things that I saw work really, really well was pretty intensive benchmarking of comparisons of different businesses in different parts of the world, trying to align them to recognize that as you built them, you might not have done them all the same way and attempt to sort of uh, standardize and benchmark and really understand what you need in each business, in each part of the world, and where to find efficiencies. As part of that benchmarking, you're measuring function by function how different things get done in different places. With that, I think there's a strong awareness that the corporate center and the corporate headquarters and the home country may not have all the answers, that you may have done things well in new businesses or new countries that can actually do things better and more efficiently and may have expertise at something that doesn't always exist at the corporate headquarters. An example that I always like to think about from my own experience was dealing with complicated things like tax issues in new countries and dealing with the need to be responsive to different tax requirements. And one of my experiences, we discovered, at least in my experience, there's nothing more complicated than dealing with taxes in Brazil. And taxes, the tax regime in Brazil can be very complex and very hard to deal with. Our team in Brazil got very, very good at that and ended up becoming a global center of competence for some of the more complicated tax issues that were started in other countries. So we recognized that in corporate headquarters, we didn't have all the answers And as new legislations and new regulations were passed in other countries, let's go fund additional resources to do it in Brazil because they could do it better and faster than retraining people in the corporate headquarters to do it. I love that. Dennis, is there anything you'd add there? Let me actually kind of refer to a piece of research that we did recently when we tried to compare kind of startup-like companies who have this zero-based organization and zero-based mentality. And we compared them to more traditional companies from similar sectors. And we've observed their SG&A cost performance over the past 10 years. And what we have found out that in the past five years, obviously, we had kind of quite a significant growth in the market overall. And both these categories of these companies grew in revenue. But what actually happened in cost was that for the, let's call them incumbent companies, the percentage of SG&A costs actually hasn't changed at all. And for the startup companies, it actually went down by 2% over their revenue. What this shows is even in a growth cycle, there are some companies who are 
thinking about being more agile and with all the examples that we were talking about today for how they achieve this, whereas some other companies just uh, don't don't have this focus and lose this focus and only think about costs when there is a downturn, when the top line is not going up. And if I would take one thing away from these startup and disruptor companies is that continuity matters. Continuity in keeping focus on your strategic priorities, keeping focus on your costs and making sure that you are consistent in your strategy and not just reacting to market goes up, market goes down. And Kerry, can I give you the last word here? What would be the advice you'd give to your clients about where to start? On this topic, I would advise my clients to really think about one very clear no regrets move, which is focus on the facts. So how do we really dig into the visibility of what our current state looks like today, where I have a legacy company, I have a large organization that's already deployed, where are they spending their time? What is the work that they're doing at each level? And just start with the facts. What we've found is that just that visibility just getting started on the journey and understanding where we're investing time, resources, and effort today as an organization often leads to quick learnings around where we actually need to make changes and shifts. I think the gist of all of this thinking around zero-basing and zero-based organizations is around thinking beyond the status quo. And that's where learning from startups and disruptors can be very effective because by definition, a disruptor is challenging the status quo. They've zero-based their organization because they've built it from zero. And so my advice to clients is start with the facts, understand what the business is, be willing to challenge the status quo, and evolve your organization over time by constantly instilling this mindset and this philosophy of zero-basing so that when there's a economic downturn or a change in business conditions, you don't have to go have a wholesale reset of your organization. Rather, you've adeptly and agilely deploy your resources already because you've been constantly zero-basing how you deploy your team. And that sounds like a perfect place to end this conversation with the emphasis on getting the clear fact base. Our focus today has been very much about dispelling some of the myths around zero-basing and instead get a better understanding of the opportunities there are to reset and reimagine SGNA functions. Thank you, Kerry. This is an exciting topic and appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Kerry. Dennis, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And Steve, thank you so much for being part of this conversation today. Thank you. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Another great episode starts now.